passage that I'm speaking on is Acts 5, 12 to 16. I think I'm supposed to make a joke about how we're still in Acts, but I'm going <laughs> to miss that. <laughs> um, so yeah, Acts 5, um, verses 12 to 16. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. So hearing Andy and Dizzy speak about the vision for Christchurch Feltham a few weeks ago and reading this passage in Acts, this is it, right? This is what we're praying for, for our community and for Feltham and for the wider church. Our longing when we pray is that we'll see the church on fire and Feltham come alive in the way that we read about in this passage in Acts. Today I want to reflect a bit on the journey of Peter and the apostles to this point and um, what they might be able to teach us about being a church on fire. At the beginning of the summer, I read Luke's account of Peter disowning Jesus and the following verses in Luke 22 verses 59 to 62, which I'll ask Mike to pop on the screen for us, um, they've really stuck with me. Um, they start where Peter is about to disown Jesus for the third time. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. How must Peter have felt when Jesus turned and looked straight at him? In that moment, I expect he remembered how confidently and perhaps arrogantly he had claimed he would follow Jesus to prison and even to death only hours before. The shame that Peter must have felt as Jesus looked at him, perhaps his friendship over the past few years flashed through his mind. He had failed his friend. He had failed the Lord whom he loved, perhaps the only person in his life who had called him rock. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In that moment, with that look from Jesus, did Peter feel that the world was caving in on him? Did he feel that all hope of that future promise was now impossible, given how quickly he had given into fear that evening? Given how quickly he had let Jesus down, despite 
Jesus warning him that he would. Can you put yourself in Peter's shoes for a moment? He took himself away and he wept bitterly. I can only imagine. I had a moment recently at work where in a team meeting, um, my boss had warned us um, that um, our risk team were going to be doing these um, phishing tests, these email tests to make sure that following some training, we were all vigilant at spotting phishing scams that had the potential to put the company at risk through a cyber attack that would enter our IT infrastructure through a phishing email. So we had all been warned that this um, was happening. And um, um, my boss had asked us to be really vigilant and um, that she thought it would look really bad if one of the legal team got caught by one of these tests. So we had been, we had been warned. Um, one evening, it's a particularly busy season at work at the moment, and I was working one evening and having just horrible computer issues and couldn't get the work done that I needed to do. So I arrived the next day at work a bit on the back foot, having to sort out the computer issues from the night before, then catch up on the work that I hadn't been able to do the night before and on my emails. And as I was scanning through my emails looking for some things that were expected to be in my inbox this morning and weren't there, I then saw a quarantined email, which means that we used to get them in my previous company where they, any spam would be sort of quarantined and then you had to go through a filter and accept or reject the emails. And I thought, oh, that's probably what happened. So I clicked on this email, clicked on the link in the email to, to see what, e what emails might have been caught, and up popped this message saying, you failed the test. <laughs> And my heart sank. I was just mortified. And um, yeah, all things went through my mind, but um, I wanted to tell my boss what I had done. I was really dreading her getting a list of people who had, or being in a meeting with um, with our executive leadership team and seeing that my name was on a list. So I really wanted to be able to tell her before um, she was told by someone else. But she wasn't in the office that day. Um, and I had to sort of juggle wanting to let her know, but also it's really busy, so I didn't phone her. But So I had to sleep on it for 24 hours. And I didn't do a lot of sleeping. I was really... I, had, I built it into something that was... Awful. I thought I was going to lose my job, actually, is where I got to with it. Anyway, <laughs> I was mortified, and I hated that even in this trivial example in the scheme of life, I was not found to be diligent and trustworthy. It affected me deeply. As I said, I couldn't sleep. I had to wait those 24 hours to fess up, which I did the next day, and I walked into her office, and I just burst into tears, something I hate doing at work. But anyway, that was me that day. My boss responded with kindness and humility. She even apologized for the additional stress it had put on me at a ready, busy time um, at work. 
My boss's response was kind, but probably proportionate to the mistake I had made, which hadn't really caused any real damage to the business, and in hindsight, in hindsight probably prepared me for a real email, email scan that I did spot and report a week or so later. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I tell the story not only to say that I get what messing up feels like, um, and I get what letting people down feels like, but also to say that I know that those feelings of shame that we experience when we mess up are so deeply connected to our identity. That day, I walked home from work having recognized that most of my anxiety at messing up was so linked to those I'm not enough feelings that rise up in me when I'm not walking in tune with who God says I am. So I had to remind myself of exactly who God says I am, that Jesus loves me no matter how significant or insignificant I am at work. He loves me and feels the same about me no matter what my reputation in the eyes of others and he would love me even if I had lost my job that day. So going back to the night that Peter disowned Jesus, what struck me when I read this passage over the summer is that I don't believe when Jesus looked at Peter, this was a look that actually added to Peter's shame. Peter, I expect, was, would certainly have been feeling awful. He would have been beating himself up for it. His tears, I expect, were raw and honest and brutal. But I don't think Jesus gave, Jesus' look was intended to add to his shame. I expect it was a look of understanding, compassion, and love. On this most awful night in history, Jesus understands that Peter's fear and weakness. Jesus doesn't condemn Peter with his look in the way we might expect, but I believe in that moment, Jesus sees Peter's whole journey. Jesus can see the whole person of Peter, all his strengths and accomplishments, his weakness and mistakes, his family and personal history that have helped shape him, his career as a fisherman, his enthusiasm, as well as his impulsiveness. And Jesus, too, can see in that moment the man Peter is becoming. Jesus could see in that moment the position of Peter's heart, and I think in that moment, Jesus could see the bold evangelist that Peter would become. So faithful in his calling and so full of the Holy Spirit that people would bring their sick into the streets and lay them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them as they passed by. And I also think that the look Peter, Jesus gave Peter that evening was a look that said, Peter, you are imperfect, and I have chosen you. Peter, you aren't as strong as you think you are, and I love you deeply. Peter, when I called you the rock upon which I would build my church, it was not because I think you're strong in your own strength, but that in your surrender, I can be strong through you. I think we have. Yeah, Jesus, Joseph. What an incredible journey. 
what an incredible example of God's faithfulness and how God's faithfulness can compensate even for our unfaithfulness. In choosing his disciples, Peter's story shows us, shows us that Jesus did not choose perfect people to be his followers, but rather he chose people who could be changed by his love and sent out to communicate that his love and acceptance is available for everyone, even those who fail. I wanted to start with this today because I think it's important to recognize that our call to kingdom living and our call to faithfulness is not a call to perfection, but rather it's a call to surrender. It is a call to stop trying to do life in our own strength, and it's a call to reliance on Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Was it an incredibly tough journey for Peter to pick himself up from that failure? Or was that look from Jesus a look so knowing and intimate, so full of love and grace, that it propelled Peter into an even greater surrender and reliance on Jesus? Knowing the character of Jesus, I think it's probably the latter. What I now see in the story is that Peter's mistake opened up space for God to do his redeeming work in Peter's life. Just like in our stories, our failures, if we let God into them, these failures will open up space for God to do his redeeming work in our life. There we go. God takes our surrender and he starts to rebuild our identity as people who are loved, forgiven, chosen, and anointed. And as we grow in that surrender, safe in the knowledge that we are his, we start to let go more and more. We begin, we become increasingly aware of those areas of our life that we are holding onto, and we are more able to give them up. This is how our intimacy with Jesus grows, and we start to see the impact that overflows from this reliance on him. This is what we call sanctification, and this sanctifying process is both hard and it's beautiful. It confronts us with all our flaws, our weaknesses, those deep places of hurt, but it doesn't leave us there. Jesus then walks us into the more that he has for us, and there's always more for us through him. This is the impact that growing in our identity and intimacy with Jesus has on our lives. As our lives are transformed, this overflows in a transforming way into the lives of others. As we read in today's passage in Acts, it's important to see that the passage reports both the successes and the seeming disappointments for the early church. Miraculous signs and wonders are being performed by the apostles. The believers are meeting together. The message, um, paraphrase, says that they met together regularly and in remarkable harmony. I love that. On the temple porch named after Solomon. More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. 
These are amazing successes. Lives were being transformed in the way that Peter's had, in the way that the apostles' lives had. But we also read that despite the early church being marked by amazing signs, wonders, healings, and people being set free, and despite the early church being marked by its unity and was highly regarded, there were those who dare not join them. I love how casually this is slotted in between amazing signs and wonders, meeting together in remarkable harmony, and then nevertheless more and more women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. It's just sort of very casually slotted in there that there were those who dared not join them. Um, and it's sort of by, and by the by that there were some that respected the apostles but did not believe and join them. And I think quite simply this verse reminds us that both individually and as collectively as believers, we are called to faithfully, not perfectly, follow Jesus and leave the impact to God. We aren't given reasons why they didn't join because ultimately that's not what we're called to focus on. God does the pursuing. I reflect on Peter's journey, and I think that in stepping through the failure, and we know that he failed more than once. Remember when Peter took his eyes off Jesus when he was stepping out into the water? Well, I think that in stepping through this, and in stepping into all God was calling him into, he had to be secure in who God said he was. And he probably had to remind himself and reclaim the promise that Jesus had spoken into his life, the rock. I also reflect on the intimacy between Jesus and Peter. Jesus looks at him and Peter weeps. Those are all knowing looks between friends where words aren't needed. That requires an intimacy and a closeness that comes from spending time together, certainly, but also from opening up in vulnerability and from extending forgiveness and love. Peter weeps when confronted with his insufficiency, but he does not hide. Peter could not hide anything from Jesus. Peter was made acutely aware of his weakness, and then, once filled with the Holy Spirit, we read about the incredibly bold way he goes on to testify who Jesus is, even in the face of the same people who ordered Jesus' crucifixion. It is clear that Peter's ministry is fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the overflow of that redeeming journey of realizing that his identity is in Jesus and in growing in intimacy in his relationship with Jesus. God uses Peter not because he is faultless, but rather that he is surrendered. There is nothing that Peter and the other apostles are doing that is of their own strength. Peter, despite being imperfect, knows who he is in Jesus and is faithfully living out his calling in step with the Holy Spirit. And the impact of that is what we read about in Acts today. And it's totally in God's hands. I am reminded in thinking of Peter's journey that we're all on a journey, even those who are yet to believe. The gospel tells us that we are all broken and we can't fix ourselves. 
We need Jesus if there is any hope of that real freedom. There will be those that the gospel makes sense to, and we read of them today. There were men and women who believed in the Lord and were added to their number. They joined Peter and the other apostles on their journey of learning to follow Jesus, that journey of surrender into Christ-likeness and the fullness of life in Jesus. There were others who just aren't there yet, and even though they see the good in all that the Christian believers are doing, they dare not join them. Perhaps not yet able to recognize brokenness, or perhaps they see it but aren't quite ready to surrender the control in fixing it themselves. I don't know, and as I said, I don't think it's ours to question or to judge But how then do we respond when we want to see lives, relationships, and our community transformed into the ways we know God can? Just as our surrendered ordinariness opens up space for God to do his redeeming work in our lives, a church on fire is one that opens up space for God to do his redeeming work in our community. And it's not a call to perfection either. It's about being in community, being among the people, as it says in Acts 4 verse 12, 5 verse 12, knowing people's stories and authentically living out our faith among them. We need to be asking God where we need to be making the space. Who in our community is God asking us to draw alongside? to invite around our table, to invite to church? What conversations is God prompting you to shine his light into? What conversations need your voice because your voice carries God's compassion and truth? What situations is God asking you to make a way into with friendship so that you can testify of a God that heals and sets free? So that when his power breaks out, people will know that it is Jesus who brings life and healing and hope. I believe that as a church, as we take transformation seriously in ourselves, the impact this will have in our community has the potential to be huge. And I think this is why Andy and Dizzy used the Vision Sundays to firstly remind us as a church who we are and why we are here our identity, if you like. And secondly, they reminded us what we need to be doing so that we continue growing into the more that Jesus has for us. Let's reflect on the journey of Peter to this place of amazing impact for the kingdom of God with encouragement that if God can do this through Peter in all his ordinariness, then he can do it through us in ours. If you're in a place of believing in Jesus but doubting who you are in him or feeling unsure of his purposes for you, then I really would encourage you to ask God to speak into that, to speak into how he sees you. Perhaps grab someone to pray with you and listen to what God says about who you are. 
Or perhaps your sense of identity in Jesus is strong, but you long to grow closer to him. You long for more. Perhaps there are areas of your life that he's been whispering to you to address for a while now, and you're keeping him at a distance for fear, or more honestly, just not wanting that area of your life to be, for Jesus to be involved in. Maybe today you could take a step towards him in surrender. Or maybe today you're just desperate to start seeing the fruit of your prayers. You want to see God move in power and healing in your hopes and dreams. I just want to encourage you to keep pressing into this. Be one of those people who keeps coming up for prayer Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Um, You won't regret it. And we will stand with you shoulder to shoulder. And as a church... We can be there for one another on this journey. Let's be a community of believers who know where each other are on this journey, who talk about what's going well in life and what's difficult. Let's pray together and encourage one another. Let's confess together and hold each other to account. Let's be slow to judge and quick to call out the gold in each other. Let's be aware of each other's need Let's serve our community together. Let's grow together. Let's create a space for God to do his redeeming work. Let people say of us that they met together regularly and in remarkable harmony in the church on the road near the police station in Feltham. 